Welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I am your host, and joining me for this very special episode, I have two very special guests, one of which is my co-host extraordinaire, Andrew, but before I formally introduce him and our other very special returning guest, which I'm very excited about, just want to remind everyone that the Cult Film Companion Podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cultfilmcomp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P. We are also a proud member of the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com where you can find our podcasts and podcasts and videocasts from around the world, all with very unique and interesting information presented in an entertaining fashion that you can't find anywhere else, so please check out Blind Knowledge today. The Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow. Once it finds these articles for you, instead of you sitting there and reading, Newsly will instead read them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Stop scrolling, start listening. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. Cult Film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a month free of their premium service courtesy of us. But with all that hot dogging and grandstanding out of the way, let's talk about a very, very cool movie that I was very familiar with but hadn't seen until recently. So we are, of course, talking about the original Stepford Wives, and joining me back in the studio after uh, a, a little bit of an absence is uh, Andrew. Andrew. Hey. I'm so happy to have you back here on the show, live and in person. Yeah, back to the same deal, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so we're on it. We're on it. We, we are totally on it, and um, I'm. we're both very happy to have a returning guest who, who just knocked it out of the park helping us talk about the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Eric, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad to be back, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it was our pleasure. So, just a quick thing before we get into our discussion. Stepford Wives was released in 1975. It was written by William Goldman, who did the screenplay, but it's based on Ira Levin's 1972 novel of the same name. The film stars Catherine Rose. Ross. 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 Thank you. (laughs) 
It was directed by Brian Forbes and features Paula Prentice, Peter Masterson, Nanette Newman, Tina Louise, and Patrick O'Neill. It was made, I actually do not have a budget here, but it grossed about $4 million at the box office and was released February 12th, 1975. And we will somewhat talk about the unfortunate 2004 remake, which... Absolutely. Has any of us seen that movie? I have. I can talk a lot about it. Okay. And I won't get into it too much at the, at the detraction of what we're talking about. Yeah, let, let's one. let's focus on the good I, stuff right here. I do Please. think I think that the original uh, movie did not make money. I think it was a box office disappointment. I Four w- million sounds like a box office disappointment. I would even I in would agree. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it you know, and of course, it still holds weight in the you know annals of culture. Especially as a feminist film. Exactly, which we'll get into. It was enti- It was filmed entirely in several Connecticut towns, and if you live in Connecticut or have spent any time in Connecticut, it feels like it. It certainly does. So, lots going for it, but I want to hand it over to, to Andrew and Eric. Talk a little bit about just kind of... Um, just the the plot before we get into it, because then I have a couple questions for both of you. Okay, geez, let me let me cover. I guess I'll cover the plot real quick. Uh, so, a family moves from Manhattan into the suburbs of Connecticut to get away from the city and to have a simpler life. What's really going on is that the the marriage is on the rocks. It's not it's not doing very well. They have two children, so the four of them. Who you barely see. Who you barely see, <laughs> I know. Uh, one of them is actually Mary Stuart Masterson, uh, really? who, went on, who went on to do a lot of different work. Uh, did you know that, Eric? I did not. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, once they move there, the wife, uh, our protagonist, her name is Joanna uh, Eberhardt, she starts noticing that things are not right, especially with the women, with the wives of Stepford. And she, she makes friends with um, a couple of women, wives who are new in town. And then, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, I don't know. Like, she starts discovering things that are going on with the wives that have to do with the men's association in town. I, guess, I don't know. I mean, should I say more than that? I mean, everybody kind of knows what the deal is with the well, Stepford wives. Just They're a... robots. Okay. <laughs> well, Go ahead, they make, she and her friend make an attempt at creating a women's organization. That's right. Supporting women's rights, interested in lives outside of the house. And the characters are Joanna and Bobby. They're visiting all the women in town and they're putting together the strangenesses and the clues and they're trying to figure out what's happening and why. Bobby becomes particularly concerned and upset and concludes that there might be something environmental or in the water. That's it, right. And it is. it does kind of, if you don't know the punchline, which I just gave away, but this is a spoilers, you know, podcast. Um, if you don't know the punchline, the movie does read, and the book probably too, as a mystery. Well, really, the, doesn't it? You yes. know what I kind of, I, I, it's weird, I don't, this is a weird comparison to make, but the two of them, they have such great comet, uh, um, chemistry together. Yeah. That it almost reminds me of a buddy cop movie yeah. of them trying to solve this mystery. Like I mean, and Lacey. yeah, you know, like it, I mean, it's obviously not. They're neither one of them are, are, are detectives or police officers, but they have that kind of 
They want to find out yes, what's going on and but plus, their mission. But plus they have like this genuine friendship that you feel. Yeah. And, uh, well, until we know, you know. Yeah, well, until the inevitable happens. But, right. Um, yeah, they, they, Paul Prentice and uh, Catherine Ross are terrific together in this. Yes. I do want to mention uh, Diane Keaton was approached for this role and she turned it down when her psychic said that she had bad vibes about it. Well, the movie bombing at the box office. Yeah, I mean, although I kind the of thing is, I don't know how much of a bomb, quote unquote, it really is because it's still everybody knows the Stepford Wives, everyone knows the book, but everyone knows the movie as well, the original true, movie. True, but how many it's people? Cultural touchstone. It is. It is, but then again, how many people know the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but have actually sat down to watch the entire movie? I could tell you for like for one. Both of my parents, if I said Rocky Horror Picture Show, would know what the Rocky Horror Picture Show is. Yeah. Have either of them sat down and watched the entire movie? No. Okay. So well, there are... It's funny that you bring that up because Susan Sarandon, when she's been asked about Rocky Horror, she said, well, you know, it was a good time, but I don't think I ever got any work from it, which is funny to think about. Right? You know? Yeah. But so anyway, so, but, but I mean... Okay, so I mean, Diane Keaton might have made the right decision. Who knows? Although I, I have to say, I don't like to like go back and recast movies in my head. Oh, I love to do that. Okay, yeah. go ahead. I, 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 I think she would have been great in this. I think so too. I think she. I think been she would have been really good in this. Eric, what do you think of Diane Keaton and the original Stepford Wives? How do you think well, that Diane would have Keaton been? is extremely talented. She could do anything. She could. She could have done anything in the seventies. That was the height of her career. But I do think she made a good career move. I think Annie Hall was. And The Godfather were probably smarter choices for her. Yeah, he makes. And I'm also interested in the casting of of the character of Bobby because in the book, Bobby is a lot of fun. She's a bit of a comedian, but she's a bit more plain looking, bit chubby, okay. chunky. They actually make a point of discussing the fact that she's a little bit on the zoftic side. Well, the, and, and the <laughs> casting was strange in this movie because well, she's it, quite tall and elegant in the movie. Uh, okay, well, I, I guess I'll touch upon the remake real quick. I'll just go back and forth with that because I know too much about it. But they, they, they give... Bette Midler plays Bobby in the remake and they gave her a dark wig and a fat suit, actually, before her transformation. So that probably fits the character better I think, from the I, I book. I think Bette Midler was a perfect Bobby, actually. Oh. Well, I just want to mention something off topic from the Stepford Wives, but just in terms of um, book adaptations being turned into film. Mm -hmm. Have either of you read the original Carrie by Stephen King? Yes. No. Okay. Carrie talked about this. Carrie in the book is described as being gross, overweight. Not gross, but she's overweight. She's, she's gross. got pimples. Yeah, she's got pimples. She's got stringy hair, pasty. Right. She's like there's snot hanging from her her nose. She's not. Yeah, she's, she's not got a low IQ. Stephen King does go out of his way to say that. And but but she's not Sissy Spacek in the in no. The, but I mean, Sissy Spacek can look gross. I think, but and I think she does in Carrie. We don't need to get too much into this. But I'm just saying, it's just interesting to see that you know, like you take a character like that. I wonder if that was kind of like a studio note. They're like, well, we don't really. Well, I mean, Hollywood doesn't really cast fat people. They do They do it now in different... They didn't in the 70s. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, another another good example, real quick, is uh, The Hours. In the book, The Hours, the Julianne Moore's character is, um, is 
actually very ethnic and doesn't look like she really? fits. Yeah, doesn't okay. look like she fits into a suburban white society. And they changed that for Julianne Moore, basically. Oh, Julianne gonna, Moore campaigned for that role. You so don't, she, no yeah. offense to Julianne Moore, she's gorgeous, but you don't get much no. paler. Paler Julianne Moore. Pale, freckled I mean, head. she's a great actress and she's mm-hmm. she's absolutely gorgeous, but if you, the last thing that would come to mind mm-hmm. would be ethnic. Mm-hmm. Other yeah. than, mm-hmm. I guess if you're talking about like an Irish mm-hmm. <laughs> ethnicity. She's ethnically Scottish. Ethnically Scottish. Ethnically I love it. <laughs> That's the name of my new band. <laughs> Ethnically Scottish. Um, so I'm gonna. I have a question for both of you. Uh, I'm gonna start with you, Eric. What? So you've read the book. Do you remember the first time that you saw this movie? Yeah, I saw this movie. I'm gonna say seven, eight, nine years ago, possibly. Okay. And then, of course, I just watched it recently again. There were certain details that I had forgotten, so I'm very glad to have read the book and rewatched the movie. So, can you name a couple of those details, please? Details that I had forgotten? Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. You know what I forgot? I forgot, and again, this is a big spoiler, but I forgot about Bobby and the knife scene. Oh. Which is so central. You know, well, first of all, don't forget, we're covering a movie that's, you know, over 40 years old, so spoil away. Spoil away. Talk oh, about yeah, anything that you want. Can I piggyback on this real quick? Sure. So the whole Bobby and the Knife thing is actually pretty significant. Uh, in in the book, in the book, the ending is different. She, and correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, it's been a while since I've read it, but she, Joanna runs, it's, it's wintertime, because the right. time frame, I think, is six months instead of four months before they change their wives into robots. So uh, by the end of the, the plot in the book, it's wintertime and it's snowing and it's cold. And Joanna has run out into the woods to hide from these dudes. And they're, they're trying to track her down with their flashlights and everything. And they're saying to her, Joanna, you got it all wrong. I mean, how could we possibly have the technology to do what you think we're doing? And why would we even do that? Please give us a chance. If you want, talk to Bobby. She can help you, you know. So they take her to... I think she agrees, and they take her to Bobby's. And the last thing in the book, from Joanna's point of view, is Joanna is talking to Bobby, and Bobby's cutting vegetables with a very large knife. Wow! And that's that's the last we hear from about Joanna in the book. Am I right, Eric? Yes, you are right. I think that the children are upstairs, and there's some kind of sound muffling that takes place. And and the last that we see and hear of Joanna is being alone with Bobby yeah. and the big knife downstairs in the kitchen. Yeah. So Bobby's, and, and prob- Bobby's probably stabbed her to death. You know. Right. Go ahead. And 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 understand that the book is primarily through Joanna's perspective. Right. The book is the book is through Joanna right from the beginning. So the fact that all of a sudden we no longer hear Joanna's voice is highly significant. Yep, yep. Wow. Now, okay. it's, so it's also interesting then, if you look at the original movie adaptation, that uh, Joanna actually takes a knife and stabs Bobby instead. Uh, yes. So this is what we see in the movie. Right. And then Bobby malfunctions. Right. Uh, and... And then that, that clip that I sent both of you of Bette Midler ma- malfunctioning in the remake... That was actually, believe it or not, that was cut from the remake. 
they. I think that's good. Yeah, well, they rethought. <laughs> they rethought all of it, and then they decided they didn't want the women to be robots, which doesn't make sense because you what? still had scenes. Yeah, you still had. You still had one of the women become an ATM machine. So it doesn't. So who are they in the remake then? It, it's supposed to be like brain transplants. That, oh god! And it's and it's not the dude who runs Stepford. It's actually Glenn Close's character, the wife who has been masterminding all of it. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. Yeah, okay. I, I see. I see you about to. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I, I have I have thoughts. Okay. <laughs> so so in the and in the remake. So in the scene that they cut that they filmed first for the remake. Joanna stabs Bobby, and Bobby not only malfunctions, she totally malfunctions. You see her coming apart in terms of, like, you know, what, she's a refrigerator for beer after having sex? She's, the, the, like, uh, like her, there's, she's, she's made, <laughs> how do I describe this? What, you're just a loving thing, just a sex machine starts playing out of her stomach, you know, for foreplay. That's right. That's right. And then at the very end of that, she becomes. And I a, won't work for but nobody but you. And I won't work right, which is funny, or you would think it would be funny, but in the case of the remake, it all came across very silly, very stupid, silly actually. Uh, so anyway, that's that's all I wanted to say. Is like the whole Bobby and knife thing is significant uh, wow. in terms of who's got the knife and who gets. Uh, who gets stabbed? Who gets stabbed? Yeah. Can I make a comment? Please, yeah. please. What's What's interesting here, and in fact, in the book, they never actually come out and say the word robot. They never say the women are robots. Ah. Uh, Joanna Joanna suggests that they're automatons, like the characters in Walt Disney World. Right. Right. Yeah. They, I, run, and, and, and there's it's... no malfunctioning. They They do They do not malfunction. In, in the, the book? book? No. Interesting. Have either of you seen the movie Get Out? Mm-mm. Yes, I love that movie. Okay, Eric, does this yeah. does this whole remake thing of them being m- mind transplanted remind you of Get Out? Yes, it, because we're we're following it through the perspective of one character who does not understand what's happening. He right. knows something is off, something is wrong. These people are strange. They're behaving oddly but he doesn't know the reason right and it takes a long time and the whole plot of the movie is just trying to figure it out i feel like one of the mistakes in the movie that we're discussing the 1975 movie that we're discussing is that they disclose it right away at the party where the wife I can't remember her name. Is going around saying, "I must have that recipe. I must have that recipe." I'll I must just die. I'll just go. die if I don't get that recipe. She says I'll the die. word "die." She's she's I'll stuck die on if a I loop. I don't have that recipe. Yeah. It looks like a robot malfunctioning. That didn't happen in the book. Okay. Oh, I know. I know. In the movie, I watched closely this time, and I I can tell in the movie that the husband has known from the very beginning that this has been the plan. Do you have that indication in the book? There's a scene, no. There's a scene, I think you, you're, we're talking about the same scene. Right when they move to Stepford, the husband talks to the husband across the street, and he yeah. makes the comment, yeah. your, some, something to do with your wife is as good-looking as her cooking is delicious. Yes. And you know, oh, the husbands are in on something. They blew the whole mystery in, in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Wow. Wow, and it's not like that in the book? No. Yeah. In the book, and in fact... The mystery that's so central to the story in the book is you don't know whether or not her husband is on her side. Right. You always get the feeling, you know the, you know the marriage might have some issues, 
but they're certainly not fighting nearly as much as they are in the movie. And you, you suspect that he's her ally and her friend. He sympathizes with her. He's listening to her sympathetically throughout the movie. And even if there's something odd going on with the wives in Stepford, you never suspect that her husband is in on anything. Interesting. You know, Which is I, I so do, important. I do remember a scene in the book where he comes home from the men's association and gets in bed with Joanna, and she's shocked because he's he's actually masturbating. He's not making love to her. He's he's whacking off, and the implication is that he has just seen her robot at the men's association, and that's what. How is that the How is that the implication? Uh, that's what I got out of it when I read it, that he had just seen never, her robot. I, I would, I, there's, but I, no, I would never have guessed that. I would never have assumed that he just saw her robot. I think Because there's what, no mention of a robot. I don't know that they are robots. You don't know that they're robots? Then what? Not, it's never clearly stated. In the book? She, like I said, they allude to the possibility of there being like the automatons in Walt Disney World. And that with the technology available and the, and the, professional backgrounds of all the Stepford husbands, they could potentially manufacture something similar to that, but it doesn't go any further. Interesting. All right. So, so Andrew, you haven't seen Get Out, but the the get the premise of Get Out is these white, very, very well-to-do white people kidnap young black men and then in imprint, well, not even imprint, they do a brain transplant. So, like, if you're a, a an elderly old white man, you can have your brain implanted into a young black man. All this also also takes it was place done in Connecticut. To women as well. Yeah, oh yes, women as well. Um, which kind of sounds like the what the remake was kind yeah. of trying to do. Well, they changed it. That's the thing. In post production, I remember I was so psyched for the remake, and I was on the MTV, uh, MTV, IMDb chat rooms when they still had chat rooms, and people were talking and talking about it, and. Uh, one of the things that, and I guess the studio executives were reading these, these chat rooms, and one of the things that someone said was that the remake had a death becomes her feel about it. And the studio execs freaked about that and changed, changed it in post-production. They had reshoots, actually, right before the movie was released. Wow. Glenn, yeah, Glenn Close said it was the longest shoot she'd ever been on. It was like a year altogether. They spent so much money. So they did reshoots. The women were going to be robots, but they were going to become bionic at the end, and it was, it was part of their, their revenge. There's a scene with Faith Hill, actually, where her arm extends. It's like a you know, on a wire or something. Right. And she takes her husband and lifts him up into the, you know, up in the air by his throat. And it's like, you want some of this? And they cut that too. So there's a, so they changed it. They made it instead that she was a brain surgeon and that they, she was just replacing their brains. I don't know even anymore. So they turned them into like Terminators. Something, something. It was never clear and it's very inconsistent. The remake is a piece of shite, unfortunately. Everybody knows it. Eric, have you seen the remake? No, I never sat through it. No, neither have <laughs> neither have I. And I, I, it was funny because I usually don't like to talk shit about movies I've never seen. But after talking to Andrew and after watching the original and him telling me the the tonal shifts that the remake takes, and you saw that clip, yeah, yeah, I'm just like, I, wh why, why would you choose this direction to take this movie into? Well, I. I it, I would like to step back and see the bigger picture. If the okay. book is really a, a dark social and political commentary, 
and a mystery, as you said, rightly stated. And then in this movie, they, they blow the mystery within the first 15 minutes of the movie and, and actually portray the Stepford Wives as robots, both through the, the person at the party and Bobby after being stabbed. It's almost an evolution that Stepford Wives have become not just mindless automatons doing their husband's bidding, but robots. And, and so in the next evolution, they are robots. Interesting. So I, I want to, yeah, what? Oh, I just had a, I, I just had a thought for, for, for both of you who have read the book. Well, can you hold that for a second? Can you hold that thought for a second? Absolutely. Okay, because, all right, so it does, it does become... I do see Stepford Wives as basically a template for the idea of mind control. Uh, and there was a friend of mine, and I wanted to actually, she's a songwriter and a singer, we were going to make a musical out of Stepford Wives. And when the remake was being uh, talked about, it was being categorized as a musical, that they were going to do it as a musical. And I thought it would be interesting, there's a Xena episode that's a musical where everything that Xena is witnessing is this like musical theater da, 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 type stuff. And then w when it gets really serious, it turns into kind of like a Les Miserables pop opera type of thing. I always thought it would be interesting to do that with Stepford Wives. I think it would lend itself well to that. And then you could really kind of focus on the mind control aspect of it. Um, and it almost seems like then, like the original book, that you could do the story without even really mentioning the word robot or having robots come into it at all, you know? So... I think you could. Yeah. My thought is that just from listening to you discuss the source material here is that this seems ripe to be like a 10-episode... HBO series. <laughs> really get into it. Huh? Really sure, get into you it. Flesh it out. Like Westworld. But 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 I say like keep it at ten episodes. Like Westworld, I think goes on and on. It it just sometimes you just like I've seen some some absolutely brilliant HBO miniseries. It's just eight ten episodes. There's never been a season two. It's just a self contained story. But you get eight to ten hours to really flesh out this world to flesh out the mystery don't blow don't blow your load of who of who the of what's really going on in episode 2 keep it keep it to like the a cliffhanger at the end of episode 9 and then episode 10 wrap wrap it all up that be the big bomb yeah thing, like Oof, boom. And I, I mean, am boom. I way off base here? Is there like with no, this? No, the only thing is the original book is actually a very short and quick read. I don't yeah. know how much you can stuff into it. But I mean, with Westworld, they just took it and ran and put in different su uh, subplots and everything. Like well, that. hell, Game of Thrones, I think there's only three or four books, and that ran for like eight seasons. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, Eric, I mean, I, yeah. I think with a good producer and a good script writer, like you, you, you could mine enough gold yeah. out of this. Yeah. I know Nicole Kidman was upset with the, did not like the remake at all. Um, Gus Van Sant was supposed to do it instead of Frank Oz. That would have been very, uh, there's the word interesting again. Well, uh, I don't think, just given what I've seen of Frank Oz's filmography, I, I, I do enjoy some of his movies quite a bit, but I just, after seeing Stepford Wives... He's not the right choice. No. And neither is Paul Rudd to write it, to write the screenplay for Paul the Paul Rudd? Yeah, he wrote the screenplay, not Paul Rudd, 
Paul Rudnick. Oh, okay. You know Paul Rudnick. Yes, we I talked do. about Paul Rudnick. We're not fans of Paul Rudnick. But I was just saying, you said Paul Rudnick. I'm like, no, not Paul. I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. Actor, okay, actor. all right, all right, all right, right, right. So um, anyway, Eric, any thoughts about what specifically? Oh, <laughs> go ahead. What were you going to say before I went off on my tangent? Do you remember? You were going to ask both of us something, and I think it was book related. Book related. Book related. Book related. Oh, um, just what if you had to pick some elements from the book that were not incorporated into the movie? Do you have any specific? Well, here's a very here's a very important element. Actually, the book doesn't end with Joanna's destruction. That's not the final scene in the book. The oh. final scene in the book is much more ominous. And this is something that I do want to bring up. There is a whole character that was written out of the movie, and she's a very important character in the book. Do you remember in the um, supermarket towards the end, there's all the Stefford wives are shopping with their beautiful sun hats? Yes. And there's one couple that's standing and arguing. You barely notice them because the camera is only on for a split second. An African-American couple, she has a bandana on her head, and they're bickering in the aisles. The new couple in town, yes. Yes. And they they're are, mentioned, they they're mentioned at the beginning of the movie when she's being uh, interviewed by that older lady for the local newspaper. She's like, We've, we're a liberal town. We just got our first black couple, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. That She's called the welcome wagon lady in the that's book. Right, that's the welcome right. wagon lady talks about the first African-American couple to move to Stepford, and we actually meet them in the book. Her name is Ruth Ann, and she is an accomplished children's book writer and illustrator who Joanna meets in the library, and they become fast friends. She's the newest wife to move to Stepford, so chronologically, she's the next on the list to potentially not become herself. And, and, the, and she actually ends the book. The book ends with Ruth Ann telling her husband that she needs to go upstairs and get some work done because she's working on a new children's book. Can he take the kids out to, to dinner, Burger King, McDonald's, somewhere fast food? And the husband very calmly and placidly says, sure, of course, no problem, darling. And she ominously goes upstairs. Which and is the haunting, his... disturbing end. Sorry. Yeah, and he starts reading his paper and of course, once again, the implication is like he'll just he'll just acquiesce to whatever she says because soon she's going to be doing whatever he wants. Well, and the other implication is that he can he can bide his time because he knows exactly what's in store for her. Right, that's what I'm and saying. And that he's behind it, and that he moved them to Stepford just like Joanna's husband and Bobby's husband and Charmaine's husband yeah. moved them to Stepford intentionally, which is the thing that. You never understand throughout the book until the very end. Okay. I got this weird vibe watched when I was watching this movie, watching all the, uh, like, you seeing the houses and the town and all the housewives and how they all interact with in each other. I got weird Edward Scissorhand vibes <laughs> of, like, that kind of a town. Well, that's the 50s and 60s suburbs. Right, that's exactly. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, there's just, I mean... Again, I, I almost kind of want to see the remake, but I'm afraid that it's going to piss it, me off. It, it will <laughs> piss you off. I got my, I got during my obsession with the remake. I did get my mitts off on a bootleg DVD of Stepford Wives that was shown to preview audiences before before it was changed completely uh, or changed drastically. Um, I got it on Canal Street, I remember, uh, and 
it had a lot of scenes that were not um, that did not make it into the final theatrical release. And one of them, it's funny that we're well, we're doing this because next we're doing Parallax View, which also has Paul Apprentice in it. I wanted to do two Paul Apprentice back to back. I thought it was convenient. And in Parallax View, Warren Beatty is discovering mind control, CIA mind control, and they take him to a room. There's a famous brainwashing scene mm. where they take him to a room. He has to watch a big screen that kind of reprograms him, I guess, or is this, that's the intent. There's a scene like that that they cut from the remake of Stepford Wives where she goes to a salon. She goes to the salon to have, like, a makeover, basically. And she's put into this bed... And she's made to watch the screen that would reprogram her. And it's very silly. It shows like Hillary Clinton and Rosie O'Donnell going from butch to really femme, stuff like that, done with CGI. Um, and yeah, so I mean that. And then meanwhile, while that's happening, there these computers are collecting her data, her brainwaves or something to that effect. So uh, doing some research, there was a lot of feminist boycotting of this original movie when it first came out. Which really? I think they missed the point. Well, I wonder if they boycotted it without actually seeing the movie. Because yeah, what were their did. reasons for boycotting it? Um, because they thought it was an anti-woman movie, pro-man. Um, like, you know, you should be subservient to um, men, you know. Um, it reminds me of the kind of... Uh, boycotting that happened with the William Friedkin Pacino movie Cruising which was heavily boycotted at first by uh, gay rights groups who hadn't seen the movie yet. They just heard the premise of what the movie was and then the whole kind of it, it, it underwent this kind of like once the, the movie got seen and once they actually saw what the movie was truly about and what they were saying, that whole kind the tide the tide shifted and they were like, uh, okay, maybe we, we kinda jumped the gun on this. So I well, wonder if they like, sorry. I'm sorry? It sounds like these activists were opposed to a movie and they didn't realize that the movie wasn't advocating opposing women. It was actually a warning if anything, to women. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what I'm thinking happened. They were just like, they maybe they saw the, the, the theater, the, the poster art, and it was like, oh my God, w women are robots. Like, are, are they trying to say that all women should be robots and they should do whatever a man says? That's, if you watch the movie and, like, you really get into it, that's not, I mean, this is... I mean, here's here's the deal. Like a lot of the time, it's a lot of the time it's like, well, even if it's a cautionary tale, um, you're still you still have this representation going on that even if it's corrected that by the end of the movie, we don't like the implications of the of the materials suggestion, the darkness of it. It's how people, it's how gay rights activists um, felt about Silence of the Lambs because of that killer, um, Jonathan Demme all pretty much made, I don't know if he made Philadelphia as an apology for that, but I mean, uh, it was kind of his, in a way it could be interpreted as his reaction to those uh, protests that were happening for Silence of the Lambs, and it's like, yes, this is uh, a bad person, and the fact that it even exists 
even even if you know even if it's rectified by the end of the movie in one way or another the fact that the subject matter goes in that direction is enough for activists to act against it and and, and again look we got to talk about we're, we're dealing with fictional characters and fictional situations well but i mean but i whole... i do understand that representation is important and poor representation can be hugely detrimental it is the ultimate objectification to have your uh, spouse become a sex, literally like a mechanical sex object. Right, yeah. So I think that w was what they were protesting. We can get into the politics of this a little bit. Um, I'm not... Well, I, can I make a statement on that when you're ready? Certainly. Absolutely. Um, well, it, it brings up the, the subject, it, it raises the question of why Ira Levin wrote this in the first place. He's yeah. obviously a man writing a book about women's roles. And I want to put this in historical perspective for a second. He wrote his story in 1972. The first edition of Ms. Magazine was 1972. The Equal Rights Amendment was reintroduced 1971-72. So this was a hot-button topic in the country at the time that he wrote his story. Well, it was it was on the top of everybody's mind, and it was very relevant and very pertinent at that particular moment in history. Well, and the book was a big bestseller. It was a big hit itself. Uh, the the I'm I'm very uh, skeptical about the feminist movement because I know that the Rockefellers uh, financed the feminist movement, and a, a lot of the reasons why they did it was to. A, break up the home to get the, the mother out of the house and get her working and to break up the family dynamic in the home, and B, to tax both members of the household so then they could get more money. So there's, there, is a, there is an underbelly, there is a downside to the, to the feminist movement well, you, in that You're respect. welcome to be skeptical, but in, in practical terms, in historical reality, as far as most women in America knew, it was, it was a movement for them. In fact, if I can just give a plug here if anybody wants to understand what was happening with the women's rights movement of the early 70s i highly recommend mrs america with kate blanchett tracy allman and rose byrne it's on fx and hulu it's a mini series maybe six or seven episodes and it really tells you who the main players were and what happened historically it helps you understand that movement it was so educational for me and it was really very worthwhile watching if eric anybody um wants to understand Eric, I'm going to um, when when I release this episode, I'm going to uh, I'll drop a, a link for that. If you could just at some point um, text Andrew the exact uh, the exact title, I would like to include that in the um, in the episode description. Um, Absolutely. I, I did want to ask you though, because you, you we be, before we started talking, we wanted to to bring up Rosemary's baby, and I just wanted so. Well, this makes well, this is what... here's the connection. Ira Levin wrote *The Stepford Wives*, and he also wrote *Rosemary's Baby*. So he had those two stories, books adapted into films in the late '60s, early '70s, and in fact, the the books and the stories. I, I'm guessing I didn't read the *Rosemary's Baby* the book, but I'm guessing the stories have a lot more in common than the film versions. And and it's interesting to me because I think Roman Polanski got it right. He got the tone right. He got the mystery right. He got the sense of disorientation 
right. It's done primarily through Mia Farrow's character, the main character, and she doesn't understand what's going on all throughout the movie. She knows something is wrong. She suspects that maybe the people in her building are up to no good. She starts to wonder if they're witches. She's not feeling good. She's confused. She's disoriented. She's having visions and nightmares. And it's not until the end of the movie that she understands and we, the audience, understand that her husband was behind the whole plot to sell her out to the devil. And that was the same feel you get in The Stepford Wives. So if anything, these two projects are much more a condemnation of men than they are anti-feminist. Yeah, I would say yes. I would say that what Ira Levin is doing in these two stories is he's really putting down, not men, husbands. He's He's really questioning the relationship of a husband to his wife and how loyal a husband actually is and would be and could be and should be to his wife. Right. Excellent point. Yes. Um, have you read anything else by Mr. Uh, Ira Levinson? No, Ira Levin. Ira Levin. I haven't, but I want to after this. He wrote, he wrote Boys from Brazil, which I haven't read, but I saw the movie that was made out of that. Is that a Raul Julia? No. Well, he might be in it. I don't remember who's in it. I don't think he is. But it's, I'm thinking A Kiss of the Spider-Woman. It's not Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Okay. It's about it's about the Nazis uh, cloning Hitler in South America. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So he, he write, I, I personally think he's a CIA asset. And so I think that everything he writes is basically predictive programming. Uh, from my perspective, Rosemary's Baby was uh, the introduction of the occult into mainstream society. Uh, in the late 60s, Norman Polanski was contracted to do that. Shut up. I can talk about this. Okay. <laughs> so so I, that's what I think about him. Um, and, and I know that, Connect, I mean, every place is very Masonic, but I know Connecticut is especially Masonic. So it is. Yeah. I, I, yeah, even I could, like, Connecticut is, it's one of those places that you always hear, like, like people that, like, are really famous in New York City. None of them live in New York City. They all live in Connecticut. I know. Well, yeah, there are a lot of commuters, too. I used to work in Darien, Connecticut, and uh, I remember the Dar- wives I uh, remember the wives of Darien, Connecticut, um, and they because I was I was selling like raw food, like raw feed, vegan food. And they were all about it because they wanted to look as, as good as they possibly can. right. And they and I would overhear them talking like, "You've had three babies, you don't look like it at all." I mean, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there we have it. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the the um, the other performances in this movie. Who who who's really? I love Tina Louise. Let's she's, just let's just wonderful. shout out the ginger from Gilligan's Island. She's yes. so good. Best when, film roles ever. Yeah, when she's talking about her problems in her marriage, um, that's just a wonderful moment. It's a wonderful monologue that she has. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. I. And, and let's, I, I think it's interesting to note that all of the women have different shortcomings. Bobby is a slob, and she says so. Ruth Ann and Joanna are very focused on their careers. And Charmaine says that she doesn't think her husband ever loved her, but that he married her because she was good-looking. And that's true in the book as well. Hmm. And, and she can't bear to have sex with him. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, this is, I mean, this is very, very real. I mean, that's... That's one of the good. That's one of the really special things about this story. 
uh, in the movie as well, I think they do this, is that there are m real moments with these characters really talking to each other, the females, talking to each other about real life, trying to get down to the bottom of things, trying to, it's, it's, it's heightened conversation that's juxtaposed by the, men's, the men from the Men's Association visiting uh, the house and talking garbage. They just talk bullshit. I mean, there there is an ulterior motive with that with that meeting because they want right. to right. capture her yes. image. Yeah. Yeah. He's drawing her. But I mean, right. still, the stuff, the junk they talk about, uh, yeah. Did anyone else think it was a little too on the nose having her recite all those words into the tape recorder? Well, that's actually, they, that's accurate to the book. Okay. They're trying okay. to get her likeness and her voice and her speech patterns down for whatever it is they're plotting. And I thought it's interesting that the word archaic yes. doesn't show up. Yes. And that's how, that's, that clues in Joanna to Bobby's transformation. See, that's, yeah, because that's, yeah, I was just about to say that. I love that the, the word that they chose to exclude from their vocabulary is archaic. Brilliant. Wow, that does so, say there's, some, so there's a lot good. of weight to that. Yeah, um, when you think about it. Because there's always got to be something that tips everybody off, and I, I don't know what happens in the remake of um, the Stepford Wives, but it's you know stuff like that in the original. But going back to Get Out, what happens is that if you take a flash photo of one of these people that's been brain transplanted uh-huh they'll they'll s snap oh, and wow. they'll go back to them old cells and they'll start bleeding from the nose oh wow so it's a trigger the flash right and then they need to be rehypnotized well this is like this is like Westworld, where they're robots actually right and whenever they malfunction they're taken back to the lab to be rebooted right basically. But so there's similar. always... I mean, the, the correlation between mind control and cloning and replacing people with robots, I mean, there is a connection. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I just think it's interesting that, that, like, you know, in the Stepford Wives, we have the word archaic is the giveaway. And Get Out, um, it's flash photography, which is interesting. And it's integral to the, the, the plot because how many people nowadays use flash photos? Everything... Everyone's taking digital camera shots. Yeah, but you still got a flash on your phone. No, but this is like it has. It's like one of those old. <laughs> it's like a classic big. Okay. It's like a big flash. Okay. So like a normal regular flash because people are taking pictures all the time. You know, take a picture on your phone, yeah. digital camera. Yeah. But it's this the one guy, the boyfriend, is a professional photographer. So he's out in Connecticut for the first time. So he's using like his like an old classic camera. And he takes a picture of one of these guys because he's like, I think I recognize that guy. And like, he just so happens to want, he just like wants to take a picture of him. And the, like the guy, you just see it in his eyes. His eyes just like clear up. His nose yeah. starts running. And he's like, you have to get out of here right now. Okay. So, and wow. So, uh, so the protagonist in this movie that you're talking about is a photographer in Connecticut? No, he's a... He's a black photographer in New York City. Okay. Dating a white girl in New York City who's who she's taking him home to meet her parents for the very first time in Connecticut. Okay. So I mean this is I mean this it's interesting because Joanna Eberhardt in the book and in the first movie is a photographer who's living in Connecticut. I want to touch on this for a minute because in the in the remake uh, she is actually not a photographer. She's not a fledgling f photographer at all. She's a highly successful television executive 
who makes reality shows. Yeah, that's the twist. So that's kind of like Paul Rudnick's feminist twist, mo- you know, postmodern. I, I guess. don't like that. Yeah, well, it doesn't work very well. Um, and she has she has a breakdown. She she her, her. Wouldn't that be too high profile to want to try to rewire? Potentially, yes, because in the book, Joanna is achieving her career. She's moving forward in her career. She's more successful than she is in the movie, but she's not a big success yet. Right. I would imagine that someone that's a high-level TV executive, a lot more people are going to notice uh, changes. Her disappearance and her change. But like I mean, you it's said... A, it's a good point. There's no point in the... There's, there's no point in the There's remake. no payoff. There's no point in the... There's no scene in the remake where she says to herself, oh, I'm really connected. Let me get s- some other people involved here who don't live in Stepford. And that is what would happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so, so l- bringing it back to the original movie and to the book, like, especially in the movie, she's, she, you know, she doesn't have that many connections. She's not that successful. And it's much more poignant that she's not only a creative spirit, but that she's really trying to go somewhere with her photography, and you see her going somewhere with her photography. Her photography is getting better, right? And it, that is that's affirmed uh, by the gallery uh, owner that she takes in New York City that she right. takes her pictures to. So you're kind of like, here she goes. We're seeing, you know, and the fact that she's a photographer, so she's an observer. She's right. an eye for subso- for society around her, and she's taking it all in. That eye. That, that perspective, that new, fresh spirit of, of, of her character, seeing all this and turning it into her art, gets extinguished at the end. That's a, that's a very poignant tragedy. See, that's part of the tragedy. Yeah. That, see, that to me, that's a prime time to, if you're going to rewire your wife's brain, is when she's, she's got some success, she's on her way up, but before she reaches that level of huge fandom where all of a sudden if she starts acting weird people are going to be like uh is something wrong like if you get her just at the cusp yeah so like any strange behavior will be like well i didn't know her before last year so i can't really tell if this is odd or not well if it's any if it's any consolation i mean i don't want to talk about the remake too much but like uh she's it starts with her having a bomb of a, what happens is she has a reality show where actually the wives get to have uh, a vacation on a tropical island with hot guys and then, you know, make her decision if she wants to go back to her husband or not. Hmm. And so there she's... I think that actually is a reality show at this point. Right, it would be. So I'm sure. It's called so, Love Island. Okay, well, there you have it. Well, <laughs> well at the beginning of the remake, uh, she, Nicole Kidman is giving a, a huge speech at an, in an auditorium to all of the people in the TV network, and the, the jilted husband from the reality show comes back and tries to kill her. He tries to shoot her on oh. stage. So then the network pulls all of her shows and fires her. And she has a nervous breakdown, and then they go to Stepford. And Matthew Broderick's character, who's her husband, who was supposed to be... It was supposed to be John Cusack as her husband and Joan Cusack as oh, Bobby. No, I think Broderick? it... Yeah, I know. So it's Matthew Broderick. But the but the, the twist that they have for the remake is that the husband feels very uh, incompetent compared to his successful wife. He feels emasculated, emasculated compared to his successful wife. So that fuels his motivation to do what he does by moving them to step. That sounds like another bad miscast of Matthew Broderick. 
It is. He's bad in it. I would imagine. He's not good in it. Eric, can I ask you a question, please? Yes. Please. Um. How involved are the kids into the plot of the original novel? Because the we kids, don't get the this... kids are much more prominent, and rather than two daughters, there's a daughter and a son. Okay. Because Joanna is shown as a mother with a family much more frequently in the book than she is in the movie, and she seems to be happy in her role as a mother. I also would like to point out, before we get too far away from it, that there is tension that you see building between her and her husband and her career and her husband. In the scene in the movie where Bobby's children are visiting and she is saying that she needs to get some photography work done in the dark room and she leaves her husband to take care of the children and he's barking at her through the door saying, I don't know what to do with these kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, which is which is really bringing us back to what the whole question of the movie is about in the first place. The husband not wanting to take on these roles, and where are the wives? They should be taking care of the children. They should be cooking the meals. They should be cleaning the house. Meanwhile, and the husband's not liking the change. Yeah, and meanwhile, the men, for all of their success, I mean, these husbands are very uh, hooked up in, in their corporate jobs, very, very uh, technologically successful corporate jobs. Uh, but with that being said... Basically, what you see and what you fathom is that they just want to party together and do their things and act like boys, act like children, you know? They want to act like teenagers. Uh, down, down, to having, <laughs> down to having their wives be toys. I wonder if this is some kind of like bizarre midlife crisis. Yes. For, <laughs> in know? terms of the men <laughs> yeah. involved, yeah, 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 I yeah. mean, if, it, if the tables, tables were to be turned and they, were, they would have to face the consequences of their actions, it would become huge midlife, you know, a group. They would have to have a support group for each right, other. Right, right. Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing with our lives? Because I have to say, quite honestly, and again, I've only watched the movie once, but there are times that I completely forgot that she had kids. They're more prominent in the book. Okay. You see, they're more involved in the story in the book. Interesting. I'm gonna. Ha- in the remake, they have a toy dog. They have a robot dog. Ugh. <laughs> I, I, the more you talk about this movie, the more I just don't. It's bad. Because and I it doesn't want, make sense the way they the way they changed it. But anyway, because I was just yeah. I was just thinking though, like like I said, this would be prime for like a nice mini series or get the right people to helm it and really dive into the dark humor, yeah. dive into the social yeah the social it's aspect. It's meant to be humorous though. It's meant to be a dark political social commentary. How humorous is the book? It's not. There's no. I would say there's next to no humor in the book. Okay. Well, even better than to just lean into the darkness. It sounds like Frank Oz was. He's just a bad director for it's this kind of. It's progressively more satirical as it goes on. It is. It was really not satirical, particularly in the book, even remotely. I would say. Well, one of the scenes in the original movie that made it satirical, or people started to see it as camp, is when uh, they're having the the women's group. And uh, Tina Louise has just talked about her problems with her marriage, and she's cried. And as she's crying, one of the other wives is saying, I strongly recommend such and such cleaner when you're doing the floor. Then you won't have any streaks. And so that 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 actually See, can be seen as a very humorous moment, well, and a lot of people look at it that way. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about in, in, in introducing some dark humor. Just 
don't have it be make it subtle. Don't make it have it be an out and out comedy. Make it sparse. Yeah. Yeah. Like sprinkle it throughout. Don't like have these big comedic scenes where Bette Midler like it's it's funny for the remake they did say and this is not what happened but they did say they wanted a mix of Preston Sturges who we're going to do uh, at the end of this month um, and David Lynch that's what what they were aiming for don't yeah, drag David Lynch into this. Yeah. <laughs> something that was like a very type thing going on, but with this very darkness underneath. If that's you what know? you're going for, do not hire Frank Oz to direct your movie. <laughs> then it'll just Can I dead. make a comment about that scene with the women's party? Yeah. Please. It did not exist in the book. Really? Oh. Okay. It wasn't, the, it wasn't in the book. In fact, she spends weeks and weeks by herself and then later with Bobby going from house to house trying to talk to all of these women. I think that re- they didn't have time in the movie to show that, and so they decided, well, let's just get a lot of the women all together and we can do that in one fast, rapid scene. But oh. it's very inaccurate to the book because none of the women ever would have come to a meeting. Well, in the, I mean, to, 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 to justify the movie version... Um, she does make a deal. Right. Her what, deal is that I'll, I'll let you record my voice if you get your wives to come to my house. Right. That's right. how. They, that's how they. That's how they manage to twist it around okay. in the movie. Okay. But in the book, it never happens, and so that odd satirical moment never happens in the book. And in fact, she makes the comment. I can't remember if it was to her husband or to Bobby that they sound like they're housewives out of a 1950s commercial. What I think it would be more ominous if they were just secretly recording her somehow oh, that talking. Would be, that would be. Uh, instead of getting her to like say these words, like if they. Um, That's what they do in that parallax view scene from the remake that they cut. So they have her repeat certain things. You know, couple microphones in the house, <laughs> like. Yeah. Like have her have her take some clothes to the laundry mat, and when it comes back, there's like mini microphones <laughs> sewn into her dresses and blouses. <laughs> to me, that would be much like that would be so more sinister yeah, than. Yeah, uh, do yeah. you mind just reading like the yeah. alphabet and a bunch of words? Yeah. You start with A, yeah. do B tomorrow, and you yeah. know, see how it goes. Yeah. Um, that's just my thought. Yeah. Uh, you know, Eric. Did we lose you? Yes. I don't remember how oh. they justified that in the book. I'm trying to remember because he actually does visit her at her home several times and gets recordings of her in the book. And I'm trying to remember how they explained that to her in a rational way. But she didn't seem to question it. Although, like the men at the party, and she did notice that the famous the famous artist was sketching her picture mm-hmm. when they came, men came to her house. In the book, that happened, and she noticed it. And that was one of the clues that suggested to her that things were a bit peculiar in Stepford, but I don't remember how they justified the recording exactly. It's so creepy in that scene in the movie when the men come over and she's being drawn by the famous artist, and she's so flattered to have this picture of her being drawn by this famous artist who she knows... But we all, well, I mean, maybe the audience doesn't know unless they've seen the movie before. The reality is that they're doing it, you know, for very malevolent purposes. Well, that's a good point, too, Andrew, that you're making, that we all know the ending. Unfortunately, we know who Stepford Wives are. It's become part of our, our language. It's entered it's entered the English language. Right. Stepford Wives is almost an adjective. And for people reading the book the first time, they wouldn't have known where this is leading. They wouldn't have known what it means to be a quote-unquote Stepford Wife. You make a great point, because I, I, I talk about this with Andrew sometimes. It's... Um, 
cultural osmosis is what I call it. You become familiar with something without having even been completely um, familiar exposed with, with exposed if to it. If you never read the book or saw the movie, you know it is Deptford White. Exactly. Is. So let's recognize that's the power of this story. Right. That's, that's why it's so iconic and that's why it's so great because that word actually is an adjective that people universally understand. It's like it's like a joke if you said like you know I got uh, I had a bad stomach bug. Well, how bad was it? I was. Have you ever seen that scene in The Exorcist? And people are like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. It's like the it kind of happened with The Sixth Sense, which I've never seen. But I mean, if I hear the phrase "I see dead people," I know exactly what movie it is. I've never seen the movie, but I already know the twist of the end. Um, it's just so is one that of those indicative of success. Yeah, it is mouth. I don't know. It also, I also think it's a, it's also, which is why this movie is 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 prime for our show. It's also kind of a cult kind of thing that, uh, you know, if you know people that you know are really into cult movies and like these kind of um these um somewhat overlooked uh, little gems. I mean, th- it, yes, people will generally know what a Stepford wife is, wife is. But if you know someone that's like read the book or knows the movie, like it's people, you're like well, you get it. There's, and when you say Stepford wives, you're not really s- referring to the wife as as a robot. You're saying that she is um, a stay-at-home mom from Connecticut, yeah, well, and yeah. a very well-to-do family where she doesn't really. It doesn't even have to be well-to-do. It has to be someone who doesn't. Basically, I think it's saying that the wife doesn't it's a have a... back to the 1950s, guys. It's yeah. not necessarily yeah. well-to-do. It's not necessarily Connecticut. Yeah. She's a traditional, traditional, conservative, stay-at-home wife and mother. That is Thank how the, you. And that yes. is the, the opening credits for, which were also a reshoot for the remake, is old footage of wives showing kitchen sets and from the 1950s. And, and recognize that that stands in stark contrast to the women of the early 70s who wanted to be career women. Right. Didn't want to wear bras. Didn't right. want to wear lipstick. Didn't want to wear high heels. Gloria Stein wanted to burn her bra. They wanted women to get out into the workforce, leave the house. This is why it was so timely in the early 70s. This was the conflict socially and politically that was happening in America. Yep. I'm... I would be, I mean, if after watching that movie and after having this discussion, I would see more men boycotting this movie than women. If anything, they'd yeah, be like... If anything, it really puts down the husbands of America. Yes, it? yes, it does. They're not, does it, not only are they not supportive of their wives and their career ambitions and their desire to be fully rounded people with lives outside of the house, it's saying that they would resort to any measure to keep women cooking their meals, giving them sex, taking care of the children, and not leaving the house. Right. They, they're, they're, they're threatened that the, the status quo that they, they thought that they had is... Um, Challenged. Yeah. Uh, so, so good. So good. Um, so we've talked well over an hour. Are we, what are we missing here, gentlemen? Uh... William Goldman, who wrote the screenplay, and Brian Forbes, who did the directing, are both very prominent Hollywood uh, players. William Goldman was, was an insider of Hollywood and knew things, so, so I think he was able to uh, put that into the screenplay. 
Uh, Brian, Fo it's interesting that Brian Forbes' next movie after this was um, uh, The Slipper and the Rose, which was a musical retelling of the Cinderella story filmed in England. Uh, and he has a penchant for really capturing nature in the summertime in both movies, in Stepford Wives, Stepford Wives as well. Um, it's beautiful to see Connecticut in the summertime, the way it's filmed in the Stepford Wives. It is. I mean, um, from what I saw, they didn't construct any sets. This was; these were all practical locations. The outdoors. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I mean, and it it works for this kind of story. This this, mm -hmm. but it, it's a bubble world. You're mm -hmm. in this little Stepford bubble, mm -hmm. and it just works so well. Like you in the remake, it's a gated community. They have to go through a gate. See that I don't mind. Yeah. That I that that's one little addition that I I think could work. Mm -hmm. Um. Everything else you've said about it sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Especially I I just. I can't. You had to be kind of an inner sleaze bag to want your wife to do this, and I don't buy that from Matthew Broderick. I've never seen the movie, but like, is he able to channel that kind of? He's not. He plays it very passive aggressively. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So who was originally cast? John, John Cusack. That I would have liked. And Joan Cusack, as as much as Bette Midler is fun, would have been. Phenomenal, I think, especially in that. I think she could have made that breakdown scene that I sent the clip to both of you. Uh, of, yeah. um, I think she could have made it much more funny. Had you know, doing this kind of like chirpy, you know, Disney type of stuff. They haven't done too many movies together, but I really dig the chemistry that they have as brother and sister. Um, what have they done together? I don't even Gross know. Point Blank. Oh, they're in that together? Okay. He's a hitman. She's the You're secretary of the hitman. 16 Candles. 16 Candles there are in? Yeah. <laughs> she practically steals the movie without speaking a word. <laughs> so uh, they live. They live in Connecticut. And I know someone. I know someone. I know people in Stamford, Connecticut. And they actually, they t when I was obsessed with the remake, um, they told me themselves that the Cusacks were having family problems. And I was like, oh, that's why they dropped out of the movie. Um, so I learned from wow. insider yeah, talk why they weren't in the movie to begin to begin with. Interesting. Yeah, or interesting. In the end. Yeah. So, okay. To start wrapping this up, here's my question for both of you. If you had your choice for this being rebooted or remade, would you want it to be a single movie, a series of movies, or what I mentioned earlier, like an eight-episode HBO miniseries? And follow that up with who would you like behind the camera and who would you like in front of the camera? Can I answer first? Absolutely, I, I'm please. I'm thinking of the Mildred Pierce. With Kate Winslet by Todd Haynes? With Kate Winslet. Yeah. I love the melodrama. And I think that I think you could actually do it in just five or six episodes. Okay. And I, I love I love the darkness and and yeah that they have in that in that miniseries. I would love to see something like that. I, I think Todd Haynes cast. would be a great director for this. Yeah. I mean, he did Far from Heaven, so he could tackle this. I I, I think he, I think Todd Haynes would be a great choice for this. Um, 
Uh, any uh, so Andrew, your your thoughts? I like my idea of turning it into a musical. The okay, way, the way that Zena. <laughs> well, I like, but but that Zena episode. If you ever watch it, the musical one. That's how I would do it with like very um, very upbeat musical theater songs until it gets scary and serious. And then you've got the real, uh, the real meat and potatoes of the score, kind of like a pop opera, like I was saying, like a rock opera. Now, who would you like to like? Who would you see helming I, it? I don't know, since it would be a stage production and probably a very small stage production. I do remember when the remake came out. I thought to myself, they should have had an American um, in the role of Joanna, and I was thinking at the time like Renee Zellweger or something. Like okay. That. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Are you just saying that because I had Renee Zellweger on the no, screen when I, I remember thinking this back okay. at the time. I was like, you know, Nicole Kidman's a great actress, and she's she is. She's in phenomenal. It. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, an American w- woman would understand the whole concept probably better instinctively. That's just a thought. That's just you know, that's okay. just what I'm thinking. I don't know. I would like to see, forgetting her name, but I haven't. A director in mind that I would like to see tackle this material, and I'm trying to think casting what I think Nicole Kidman. I, I kind of want to see how she does with the role. And you saw from that clip, she's yeah. got dark hair. So they put her in a short, dark wig for it to make her less attractive. So when she has her transformation, she's Nicole Kidman. See, that's the thing about the remake, too. They're all, like, dowdied up. And then they have their transformation, and they're like the movie stars we know them as. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> I would like to see Mary Heron. Who the fuck is that? What? <laughs> see, I don't know anyone anymore these days. Okay. Eric, have you ever heard of Mary Heron? No. She, Okay. <laughs> Her three biggest movies were I Shot Andy Warhol from 1996. That was Lily Taylor. No, she was in it. <laughs> Lily, being an oh. asshole. Go on. <laughs> American Psycho. Who was she in that? No, the director. Oh, she's the director. Sorry, my bad. Okay, go on. So uh, she did I Shot Andy Warhol with Lily Taylor. Yep. She did American Psycho with Christian Bale. Okay. And she did The Notorious Betty Page. Oh, of, right. Yeah, so, she, sure. Yeah. Put her in charge. Absolutely. Put her in charge. I mean, if it's going to be a, quote, feminist, unquote, film, ostensibly, for right. all, all intents and purposes, put her at the helm. That's what I'm saying. She's, Why not? And, and have her cast the Joanna Eberhardt. And seeing American Psycho, she's able to do that dark material. Yes. And, and American Psycho is a dark comedy. Yes, it yeah. is. So yeah. Th- that's, yeah. Sure. No, I wasn't saying her as an actress. I've never seen, I don't think she's acted. I was okay. saying for her to, I would like to see her t- take on this material. Yes. As that a director. Would be, that would be very, yes. Okay. I'd be down. So, yeah, I'm trying to think actresses and actors, that's tough, but like I'd like to think that I think having a female director mm-hmm. would be, and, and she's one that I'm like, she doesn't get a, enough credit for like, like th- those three movies I just mentioned, they're all, yeah, they're I'm, all good, they are. They good are. movies. They are. So, yeah, that's who I'd like to see kind of take the, helm that kind of material. I think she could really do it. The other female director I was thinking of don't say the girl from Boys Don't Cry, because she trashed Carrie when she remade that. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. I was going to say either Catherine Bigelow. Um, you don't know Catherine Bigelow? No. You ever see the movie Point Break? I know of it. Okay. Okay. 
That's her. Anyway, she won an Academy Award for The Hurt Locker a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Um, very good director. And I was going to say the lady that directed the Eileen Munros movie Monster with Charlize Theron. Oh, sure. But uh, I'm not a fan of those two Wonder Woman movies. Oh, she directed those? Yeah. Still, though, she would be capable. Oh, yeah. No, no. Like, say, uh, seeing Monster, she's more than capable mm-hmm. of it. So, the, like, I think a female director would be perfect for this material. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. I mean, really, if Hollywood's going to do it right. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Sorry. I don't have anybody in mind for director. Okay. I was thinking of who I would cast as Joanna, but I don't know who would be director. Who, who would you, you cast? You know who I just thought of very randomly? Who? Um, Carrie Mulligan, who was just in a very interesting movie. Right, she played Daisy Buchanan in the uh, Baz Luhrmann Great Gatsby. That's not the movie I'm thinking of. She was in that other very... Women... I can't remember the title. She'd be good, though, and she's what about she's petite enough where it's kind of like it would up the stakes, you know? She's very versatile. She needs to be able to be very natural, earthy, crunchy, and she needs to have... What about a Chloe Sevigny? Oh, well, sure. I mean, she might be a little too long in the tooth now, but, I mean, she would be good. She'd be very good. I'd love to see her take something like that on. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's a great character to be slowly yes. realizing all this stuff. One of the cool things in the remake um, publicity, uh, uh, the in the newspapers when they were advertising it, it it had like a row of suburban houses in the middle of the night with all their lights off, except for Joanna's house. And there's one light on in Joanna's house, meaning it's the middle of the night and she's doing her research. She's figuring... And it, it cast, is on, the, cast these two. Maggie Gyllenhaal and Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, James Spader. Yeah, that would work. Sure. As husband and wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would be... That, I think... Maggie Gyllenhaal is very good. Yeah, and James Spader as her husband would be good too. Yeah, but still, I mean, what was that, Eric? I I also just thought of Dakota Johnson. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, She'd be very good at it. Yeah, I think you've got to get the right female lead. But some, I think, like someone like Maggie Gyllenhaal could do it. Um, I like, yeah, Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, yeah, Sevigny. Thank you, thank you. You know. um, I like also how in the book she's going to the library to do her research. In the remake, she does all of her research online, which is interesting in and of itself. But I love the the idea of her character just, you know, figuring this out little by little. She actually, in the book, she goes to the library and finds out what is going on with these women and what the, these wives and what they used to do before their transformation. Also, she I, mentions it in the movie. Also, but. I'd like to say that any any of my ideas of how this should be done would be set in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if you want it to be totally topical, and it would be fun to have it set in the yeah. 70s, too. It would be a period yeah, piece. Right, and you wouldn't have someone Googling sh- mind control yeah, shit. Yeah. I don't... Uh, well, and then you could also wonder if it's if it were made now and set in the 70s, then you could be kind of like... Does that mean all the wives are, are robots now these See, days? There's like, some, yeah, they, there, there's, you know, there's, have they there's carried really... out their plan in, in completion? I had to say, yeah, yeah, I mean, and if I could travel back in time to do this, I think um, Catherine Deneuve. 
Well, she's not American. She doesn't even have. She has a French accent. She's well, a mail order the, bride. Mail order bride. Shut the fuck. <laughs> Are we done? <laughs> We're done. Eric, any final thoughts? I do have one final thought. You just said you would travel back in time and said this in the seventies, and I was thinking initially, oh, this is very. This is a 70s movie. It belongs in the 70s. It's very topical to the 70s. But in fact, I was thinking about that afterwards. The conflict between conservative and progressive and liberal and traditional thought is very, very present right now. Absolutely. That's going on in the United States right now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it is necessarily only a 70s issue. No, it's not. It's, it's It's a global kind of generation spanning issue i just think that setting it in the 70s i i I just think there's it just opens up a lot more uh juicy material well just don't have her being on the internet all the time right exactly you you better leave that in don't edit that out Eric, thank you so much for joining us. This was an absolute blast. I hope this is uh, just your second of what will be multiple appearances on the show because, once again, you've um, you've added so much to the conversation. You really do, Eric. Not only do you do your research, but you've, the wheels are turning all the time when you're talking about these movies. Thank you. You know, it's always fun. I love doing this, so I hope I talk to you again in the future. Great. What I'll do is, actually, when we have some time this afternoon, me and Andrew are just going to plot out a couple movies that for the next couple months. I'll have him shoot you a list, and if anything catches your eyes, you, you've got an open invitation here, my friend. Thank you so much. So, for Andrew, for Eric, this is Chris from the Cult Film Companion Podcast, signing out.